And now, it's time for the biggest bonanza on Blaze Radio. Live from the Bill Austin Radio Studio, this is the College Basketball Bonanza. Welcome into the Bill Austin Radio Studio and another Sunday edition of the College Basketball Bonanza. Happy to have you alongside us. My name is Nicholas Hodel, Dominic Stern, Dom Contini. Us long for the ride. As always, we have quite the jam-packed show with the transfer portal going crazy. Several key pieces of this past season returning for another year, making their announcements. But by far, the biggest news, uh, if you want to really say that, as we may have a technical difficulty with that camera back there, we'll have to see what that's about after we get done, because I'm not trying to do that right now, is the fact that Jay Wright is retiring from his coaching post at Philanova, and quite the big piece of news over two decades of a coaching career at Philanova. He is retiring from his post, uh, getting all the honors as he should uh, with throwing out the first pitch uh, earlier this Sunday evening at the Philadelphia Phillies game against the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, but we'll get into all the ramifications of this news in a tad bit, but... Uh, just to really get this stuff going with just the career of Coach Jay Wright. Um, he had a very good send-off. Yeah. Um, he didn't need the farewell tour that Coach K had. Uh, he didn't need that season-wrong tour of the farewells and stuff. He simply took care of business and got it done in his final, what would end up being his final season. And th that really was what Jay Wright has done, especially in the past seven years or so. Yeah. I mean, this Philadelphia run under Coach Jay Wright, he had very solid players, uh, like a Randy Voy, like a Kyle Lowry, uh, within the early years of the tenure at, uh, at Philanova. Uh, but this recent wave of NBA players just coming to Philanova really didn't start until about 2015. For sure. And after that period, they just kept coming under Jay Wright. Mm -hmm. And it real, I really think it just showed... Uh, just how successful Coach Jay Wright made Villanova, particularly in the new Big East. Mm -hmm. Just Villanova, when all the conference realignment of the Big East uh, really turned itself out, it was Jay Wright that figured out how to make Villanova the cream of the cop of the new Big East. Yeah, the past decade um, has really been Villanova's decade for college basketball. I mean, Jay Wright won two national championships, was in three Final Fours in the past decade, four overall, but the dominance that Villanova had on the college basketball scene over this past decade is ridiculous, and Nick said it himself, there's been multiple great players that go through that program. For example, Mikhail Bridges, Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo, who was most outstanding player of the tournament that, that year, uh, 2018. Um, so, like, Jay Wright did a fantastic job with that program, and the Big East kind of changed with Villanova, I would say, because Villanova got really good really fast, and then now, like we saw what we saw last year, the Big East is back. And I think that has to do a lot with the greatness of Villanova during that time span, building up a great program that Villanova had. Right. I mean, Villanova, like you mentioned, was the best college basketball program over the last decade, and it really started in 2016 when they won the national championship and was the only team to win two of them. So very impressive stuff. And, I mean, Jay Wright just consistently developed players 
in not only becoming really good college players, but also becoming pro college players. I mean, you just look at the NBA right now. There are several guys that are balling for playoff teams. I mean, Dante DiVincenzo is on the Bucks. Mikael Bridges is on the Suns. He's the anchor of the league's best defense for the Suns. Jalen Brunson, uh, he was filling in as that starting point guard in the absence of Luka Doncic. Took a little bit of a backseat in the last game uh, when Stonchinch returns, but, I mean... He scored 41 points in a playoff game, so... Right, and that a lot of that credit goes to Jay Wright in developing these guys, and, I mean, there are even a ton of them who have made it to the NBA level, uh, Archie Diakono and Josh Hart, you know, who haven't quite panned out as well, but, you know, they got there, and there's only so many rookies who make it to the NBA every year, and Jay Wright deserves so much credit for not only being for not only recruiting these guys, developing them, but, and winning at the college level, but also developing winners. Because there are certain guys who they win at the college level. For sure. And there are certain guys who develop players for the NBA level. Yeah. But none of them have done both. Jay like Wright has Ray been Hatt. able to develop great character, too. I mean, if you look at Colin Gillespie, he's the definition of a great college basketball player. I mean, he Mr. Fundamentals, and that's what Jay Wright established with that program is this is a fundamental program and we're going to do everything the right way and we are going to torment you on the defense side of the ball and offensive side of the ball so Jay Wright did everything right and it really sucks to see him go but um, like Nick said he kind of did it in his own way not doing the farewell tour like Coach K did yeah and that, that certainly really was the case I mean what, what really Coach Wright has done and I mentioned 2015 there's really that benchmark uh, up, up until that period, he had only produced five guys uh, at Philadelphia to the NBA. And a lot of them did not really uh, pay out, but some of the others, like a Kyle Lowry, uh, certainly did in the NBA. Uh, but since 2015, um, he's gotten 11 guys um, to the NBA in some shape or form, uh, which for, for a college program, I mean, you could harp all you want about you know, the stars that get into the NBA and stand out, you know, like for Arizona State of James Harden. Uh, but for a, for, a, for a program to just continuously crank out players to the NBA, no matter how they pan out, is impressive in and of itself. And Jay Wright was really the epitome of just cranking guys out, particularly in 2018, 2019, 2020. Just all the players that he was able to just pan out, whether it was... Guys who were most outstanding players in this double tournament, consensus national players of the year, Julius Irving Award winners, he produced two of those in three years, with Jalen Brunson and Sadiq Bey. Just Villanova became a standard of excellence in the new Big East. And really, Coach Wright's really done that throughout his tenure. Um, you know, making Final Fours, making really good teams, uh, going back as far as 2006 with, well, I mentioned Randy Foy earlier and Alan Ray, who had one year with the Celtics after being undrafted and had a, and had a career in Europe for himself uh, after being a second-team All-America player in 2006. So, like, those are the kinds of guys that, you know, you're still able to produce and still able to get pretty decent careers, even if it is overseas. And... It, it really is for, for college. It's all about producing players to the NBA, you know, making sure that your program can be few to prospects and recruits as a place where you can excel and then go to the NBA and, and excel there at. Uh, but you can't really discount other guys as well who go from these places and still have pretty long careers in basketball, mm -hmm. whether it, even if it is overseas. A simple way to put it is, I mean, Jay Wright is in the Hall of Fame for a reason. So, exactly. Um, like, 
what he was able to do with that program and like the consistency is what I love about it because before this past decade, Villanova had good years, but re- Villanova dominated year in and year out, producing players to the next level as well, and just creating a new, I would say, blue blood of the 21st century. Yeah, and, and it certainly Villanova knew exactly what it was doing when it picked Jay right up after his seven-year tenure at Hasfra, uh, going into the millennium, uh, led Hasfra to a couple of NCAA tournaments via two America East Conference championships, and what a career he has had after that point. I wanted to real quick um, put a book on this before we move on to Philadelphia's successor, Kyle Neptune, uh, by just quickly giving just a small, quick rank of what we thought were the best Philanova seasons under Jay Wright. And just a simple top three will absolutely suffice. Uh, for, for me in particular, I had to go with the two NCAA championships at the top two spots. Uh, I put the 2018 season over the 2016 mm-hmm. uh, season there. Uh, and after that, I'll be curious to see what, what you guys end up um, thinking for that, that number three spot. Because I, I really had really a tougher time going with really one of three different seasons. I ended up putting this past year uh, and, and giving that the nod. Um, really just because of some of the uh, different manners in which Phil and Noah really had to uh, try uh, really get through some, some, some periods. You know, had a very good end to the regular season. Uh, if not for a road loss at UConn, they would have won the Big East regular season championship. Uh, but won the Big, Te- uh, Big East tournament, I should say, in very gritty style. Uh, and then beat some pretty big names. And this is that way trying to get to the Final Four. And that Phil and Noah team really showed... Pretty much everything that was special about that program. The biggest tipper for me, that fifth percentage, historic, 83% this past year. Not sure that mark will ever be taught in college basketball. Uh, so th- that really was the tipper for me. But I'm curious to see what you guys have to think about this. Uh, I had the same top two. I mean, the two national champion teams. I mean, that's the only way to put it. They uh, both finished number one overall in Ken Palm. Yeah. And then my number three will probably be the 2014-2015 season. Uh, they finished 33 and 3. I mean, the record speaks for itself. Um, Mikhail Bridges, Phil Booth. I mean, the team was loaded. And I, the Big East that year wasn't that bad. I mean, they had Georgetown, who finished ranked in Butler as well. So um, they lost in the Sweet 16. And I mean, it was just a great year, 33 and 3, and just in the middle of. The decade that Villanova owned. Xavier and Providence were also really good that year mm-hmm. as well. How about you, Mr. Stern? Yeah, I would go with the 2022 season as well just because he got to the Final Four. Uh, the only other time he got to the Final Four outside of his championship seasons was in 2009. That team also went 30-8. and eight. But this team also was pretty unhealthy throughout the course of the year. And, I mean, I think that he did a very good job weathering the storm, being successful in conference play. And, I mean, for him to do that, uh, it's a testament to his coaching. And I, I think that's what really speaks volumes. But, I mean, you could also say 2017, that year they were the number one overall seed going into the NCAA tournament. Lost to Wisconsin, who's a really tough eight seed to get matched up against. Uh, a team full of experience. One of the best big men in the country was on that team, Ethan Happ. And Nigel Hayes as well. That, that was a tough loss for them in a season in which they went 31-3 and entering the NCAA tournament. 
Yeah, that yeah that was awesome. That a uh, a very exceptional year. I mean, the, t the 2009 Final Four appearance is also a really exceptional year in a conference that had Louisville at its peak, UConn at its peak, Pittsburgh at its peak. A very solid West Virginia, Marquette, Syracuse team, like in the absolute peak of the Big East. Villanova was that team. The Big East have made the Final Four. Uh, so that really just really just says all kinds of volumes about what Philadelphia was able to do uh, in, in that NCAA tournament. Uh, but, for, but the next steps at Villanova include hiring Kyle Neptune after a year at Fordham in which his coaching job cannot uh, be undersold. Fordham was a team that was projected last in the Atlantic 10 way back in November in the preseason poll. The floor in that poll was 28 points. 28 voters, which they probably got all of the first place votes there, one point for last place, and Fordham got 32 points. Mm -hmm. So that was like nearly unanimous, dead last team. Fordham ends up 8th in the A-10, 8-10 and 10 in the conference, and also with a top 50 defense analytically. And, mm. and Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency. And he had this, there was a very big rough patch for this team in January that really just kind of righted the ship uh, and got results out of that team in February and got that team to a very respectable finish in the conference for a team that was projected dead last. Yeah, I really think this hire really goes back to the beginning of Neptune's career where he was the video coordinator for Villanova in 2008 with Jay Wright. And he was a part of the 2009 Final Four appearance for the Wildcats. And, I mean, he was an assistant coach uh, at Niagara for a little bit. But, this, ex I mean, the Fordham record doesn't really do this coach justice. I mean, it looks to be that he had a lot of connections with the Villanova program. And I guess the Wildcats thought he was the right man for the right job. So, I guess time will tell. Right. I mean, you look at Fordham the years before. They went 2-12 and in the shortened... 2021 COVID season and 2020 uh, before the A10 tournament could tip off, they went two and 16 in conference play and went nine of 22, uh, 12 and 20, nine and 22, 13 and 19, uh, and the years before that under Jeff Newbauer. So Kyle Neptune took over a bad program and he got them winning. I mean, they weren't a winning program, but they were winning games. And I mean, Nick, like you mentioned, that that rip that tough patch in January, they had a COVID pause. Uh, in January or in December, uh, they played against Miami on December 12th, who, albeit, made it to the Elite Eight. Reminder, they lost to six. They lost by six to Miami on a neutral floor game. That's a respectable effort. And then they had 18 days in between games against LaSalle, and they lost and they won that game uh, on the road. That's a conference win on the road. And then they had, let's do some math, they had 13 games in between their next game which was a home game against one of the worst teams, and they won that game. And then after that, they lost five straight conference games, two and five. I mean, at that point, most of your players are probably giving up on the season. So two and five, but they finished eight and ten. That's finishing six and five. They, they fought, and they were able to pick up a win in the A-10 conference tournament too, and I think that can't go unnoticed. It was a grindy win against the George Mason team that got some big wins this year. Went on the road and beat Maryland, and you know Maryland had a down year. But still, for them to do that, I mean, I think that Fordham, hopefully they're going to tr keep trending upwards, but Neptune did a fantastic job with this team, and I mean, I don't think that can really go unnoticed. 2-12 and 12 last year to 16-16. and 16. That's incredible. Yeah, and, that, and like I mentioned too, I mean, at least from an analytical standpoint, this team succeeded on defense. Uh, its offense was not good, 
Uh, but defensively, yeah, like that's the cut. Like that, they did an exceptional job um, defensively to at least try and make up for their lack of offense. And you know, you're able to really make, really give yourself an identity like that. That's where the gritty wins against that George Mason team, like you mentioned, the February 20 game at home. That's where that comes in. That's where the games like the South, the, the few days later at home, 16-54 win. That's where that comes in. When you're able to find your identity, you're able to succeed. I think that's what Fordham did uh, in the middle of February going into the rest of the year. And that's really what led that Fordham team to, for that program at that particular time, that's success. You know? Like... Before that team was hired by Villanova, you gave yourself a very solid baseline. Uh, and so now the next coach that comes in is going to have to try and give it a decent little follow-up. Um, maybe somewhere around there. Uh, but for a Fordham program who, quite frankly, have been very much struggling the A-10, that's a win. You know, that year was a very positive step in the right direction for that program. And it will be interesting to see what Fordham does over the course of the next several weeks and trying to find a replacement uh, as time is of the essence when you give all the portal uh, activity a very big thought there. Uh, and that includes a lot of activity this past week. Uh, but the one that really caught everyone's eyes was Nigel Pack. We knew that Pack was going to be one of the very big attractions in this transfer portal. And he very much was that, getting a lot of attention from power conference schools. He ended up choosing Miami, which until another tweet came through by one of the people who runs a life wallet, uh, the, the fact that uh, Pack uh, went to Miami became the back burner because for, I would believe, the first time in the NIL era, we pretty much got full details of an NIL deal, which is this. $800,000, 400K for two years, and a new car. Um, I don't think I don't know. We, we don't know if it's a new car, but it's a car. Uh, I, we can only assume it's a new car. From CBS, it says almost he was also promised a car as part of the deal. So yeah, yeah. So that is really what we are uh, dealing with here, uh, as far as that is concerned. And that really got a lot of attention on social media, uh, to the tune of three million impressions. Yeah. Uh, on that tweet, which is wild to say the least. That really, that really drove the conversation over the last several days uh, about the, the state of NIL in the state of college athletics. It's, I don't like it. It's gonna. I think it's bound to ruin college sports. It's gonna get to these kids' heads. Um, it's gonna take away the drive that makes college sports so special. I mean, eight hundred thousand dollars in a car is ridiculous, and I. I for a player like for a player like Nigel Pack too, I know Nigel Pack's a great player, and he had a lot of schools interested in him. And Miami made a decision to offer him this fantastic deal. It's crazy to say that a fantastic deal is being made in college sports in reality. So um, I just can't really understand it. Uh, Eight hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money for. a kid who's in the transfer portal yeah what are we thinking about that dominic well i mean the the transfer portal is evolving and nil is evolving too because to go along with it these players are still trying to figure out what they can and they can't do and these schools are going to quickly figure out what they can do and what they can offer and how they're going to compete to offer with these players and at some point nil is going to be regulated 
regulated is the key word they're not just like completely abolished because you don't want it to become like a recruiting tool at some point you have to be established to be there and you have to be a player who has already proven themselves at that certain place in order to make some money because you know it's awesome these guys can make some uh make some money off their their image and their likeness because these guys do work really hard and they have personalities that they should be able to profit off of while at their university while not through the school because they do get their scholarships they do get an education while playing basketball for their school my problem is it's being offered as a recruiting thing when certain schools can't offer that as well while recruiting guys in the transfer portal because that's not what the transfer portal is meant to be for the transfer portal is meant to say hey i didn't like my situation or hey i want to but be... that's why that's why i don't like right the transfer portal is giving kids a way of hey i'm i can't do it here so i'm going to try it somewhere else well, it's giving kids a way sometimes you don't have to work to get where you are i don't think that's the case because these guys work hard every single day and maybe the situation they get into is a little bit different you know, coaching staffs change, whether it's just like an assistant coach or, you know, especially in this era of recruiting during COVID, like recruiting visits haven't been what they used to be. So sometimes these players are getting into a situation that they didn't expect to get into. And when you're committing 40 plus hours a week to playing at this, at the school, if you don't, if you don't like it, you're going to want to go play somewhere else where you think you, you're going to have a better opportunity. Now, if you're playing at K-State. But, like, look at JT Barrett. I mean, he beat out Cardell Jones when Cardell Jones was a projected starter. Yeah. I mean, you can beat out someone that you're not projected to beat. Like, well, BG Johnson just left Ohio State because he's like, oh, Tanner Holden's coming to Ohio State. I can't get a starting job here, so I'm going to go somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's just part of it. I mean, these guys have dedicated their entire lives, and if they want to make sure that they can maximize their time in college, because some guys, I'm not saying Michi Johnson's not going to go on and play pro, but... I mean, if he's kind of realizing I'm not going to go make it pro, I need to make sure I maximize my time in college. And if he gets put in a situation where he sees that, he has every right to go play somewhere else. And so does everyone else. It goes both ways because, like you mentioned, yes, it does suck that some players leave leave their schools when they've said committing them. But at the same time, you could also go out and get players yourself. So sometimes it goes both ways. You can go out and get players yourself by offering $800,000. Some schools don't have that capability. Exactly. And that, that's where this should draw the line. But they're going to have to regulate this because I think some players are worth getting $800,000. Nigel Pack, in my opinion. No, no, sure. no offense to Nigel Pack. He averaged 17 points and was a great player for Kansas State. But there are way more players getting paid less that are better than Nigel Pack. Right. Because like, there's some players in college basketball who only care about college basketball and not about the NIL stuff. And so, like, you coming to play for the program that you just played for and getting money there, I think that makes perfect sense. I'm not saying that's the only way you can do it, but, like, maybe there should be, like, arbitrate not arbitration, but, you know, like, certain limitations to what these schools can offer to transfers or to young recruits because some of these guys, you know, like Paolo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren, we know they're going to college for one year. And it's unfair to some schools who maybe would be just as good of fits to not be as good of recruiting lane spots because they can't offer as much money as that other spot. Yeah. Because yeah. then all of a sudden, you're not recruiting for basketball, you're recruiting for money. Yeah. And, and just to really give the background, Life Wallet has been very influential in Miami's NIL 
um, efforts with multiple different sports, athletes are getting NIL deals um, through that particular company. Um, and it's through a, a lawyer that really has made all kinds of money. And he's able to do that, able to provide that. Uh, but really, to me, we are entering, I would say, very dangerous territory uh, with how this is really going to work. I mean, you mentioned this very well, Don, that this can't be abolished. It, it can only be regulated. Yeah. No, there, I, I agree with that. There is, I don't think the NCAA is in any position to do anything about this. They lost that battle a long time ago at this point. I, I really think they've, they've almost lost it. They are, this, this is really starting to get into a situation where if, if the NCAA doesn't at least try to step in, no matter what the NCAA does, it's going to be unpopular. Let's get this down to the straight right now. Do you think the transfer portal needs to be regulated? This is going... Because they, they also opened the can of worms there, too, with yeah. the free one-time well, transfer. I, I preface this. I still think COVID-19 is having an impact on some of the stuff right now. Absolutely. Because players aren't in the ideal situations. I think in two or three years... But the transfer portal is ruining ideal situations for high school players coming in. I mean, sure, you're, you're 100% right there. Yeah. But I think that less and less people are going to be transferring because people still have their extra COVID years that they can use to transfer now exactly. twice. Exactly. That's what's ruining a kid in high school who uh, is... Yeah. Oh, so are you trying to say that people, high school kids coming out right now are like more are in a worse spot because of the COVID, the yeah. extra COVID? Yeah. You're 100% right. Yeah. That's why I was against giving the people the extra year because you're just, you're, I, 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 yeah. you're, you're, you're harming the people. I had to make sure. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're harming the people who are coming out of high school who had to deal with the same COVID regulations in high school. Obviously, it's a lot different of a situation coming out. And, like, spring sports got it even worse oh, because absolutely. all of those guys got two extra years of eligibility. Yeah. So, like, basketball is not even the worst can of worms here. Now, in terms of transfers and whatnot, it's a worse spot. But, like, there. The, it's going to evolve. I mean, just give it two to three years. It's going to suck for these next two to three years in terms of, like, frustrating and, like, seeing Nigel Pack get paid $800,000, which, you know, none of this is discrediting Nigel Pack. I mean, go yeah. get your bag, bro. Absolutely. But it's going to get regulated over the next three years. Yeah. All right. I, I, I'm doing my best not to get worked up over it because I know it's, <laughs> it's going to change. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of those things that this we're at a tipping point right now. I mean, this can either continue and this will be past the point of, of, of no return, pretty much. I think we're getting closer to that than people may think. We're already at that point with the transfer portal. I mean, if the NCAA tries to get rid of that, that, that free one-time transfer, oh boy, all hell's going to break loose as far as the public opinion goes yep. with the NCAA. Because that's well, just not going to work. They can't. They have no reason to. And, yeah. like, if you graduate in three years or in four years with a red shirt. You get another transfer. Yeah. You, you can transfer without penalty. Yeah. And then you can still use your transfer thing. So people are still going to be transferring twice. You're just not going to see as many people graduate in four years and transfer twice yeah. because they have the COVID year and their extra year. Yeah. And, so and, they can't transfer after we'll three still, of their seasons. Yeah, and we'll still see the effects of that for several years down the line. To wrap this back up really with the NIL um, discussion before we move on within our program here is that it's, it's this. No, there, no matter what you think about, you know, Nigel Pack you know, and the whole how the way this whole thing went down, th the point here is this. Uh, I, and actually, this is brought to my attention uh, for, uh, 
few weeks back by one of my um, buddies over at the uh, uh, Cronkite News, someone, uh, someone within my uh, Tuesday, Thursday assignments. Uh, but on three has this NIL valuation um, database. And what this and what it shows within the current slate of college basketball, including some of the guys who um, are are still are still you know commits uh, or are still very very young. In the case of the O'Neills, the the sons of Shaq, um, if we're going to go up about a by year basis, there are only three players in college basketball who had the NIL violations by, by according to on three uh, above Nitro Pack's four hundred thousand um, a year. If we bring that to the total, only the O'Neills have that valuation higher than Nigel Pack's deal. And it's pretty much this. Any sort of valuation attempt you want to make an NIL, gone. Absolutely gone. The, that's just another point we're at right now. Like, we are opening up the can of worms in NIL that may never be closed. And I don't think anyone trusts the NCAA to close them. Yeah, and I think more and more programs who have the alumni like Miami... So, like, per se, I'm going to give USC as an example. In the next three years, Lincoln Riley is going to take advantage of the NIL completely. Yeah. Just because of the location, just because of the alumni situation. And big programs like these schools are going to be able to do that, which will ruin NIL for everyone. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why um, Dennis Kennedy on, on Twitter said the exact same thing. Like, if ASU effect department's not going to start with NIL, we have to do it. Yep. That's what you're probably going to see more of. And, and that's why... Just... Shout out, Dennis. He's a Potters fan. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just new to the Arizona State program, and the fact that James Harden hasn't really gave back anything... Is, I don't really speaks understand. volumes. Yeah, yeah, it speaks a lot of volumes. Yeah. that's how I'm gonna leave yeah. it there. To move on from that subject, though, the shoe is the Hasiampa shoe. So yeah, to, that, there is something. <laughs> to move on from that subject, though, um, we'll we'll get back to the chance for Paul in a bit. But there is a lot of decisions to return from people uh, with with Sunday the twenty fourth being the uh, deadline um, for entry into the NBA draft process. And well before Sunday, we have perhaps the biggest announcement of them all. Uh, on SportsCenter, Oscar Sheboy announced his decision to return to Kentucky for next year. And I could read off all kinds of stats, all kinds of numbers, look through the, the Kentucky Notes Project in the NCAA Tournament, and oh boy, was there a gold mine of just notes and figures of just all the historic things uh, that Oscar Sheboy was able to put together. Uh, but uh, And, you know, just to really uh, read off um, one of those, uh, he uh, would eventually become... Um, I'm pretty sure the first player to average at least 15 and 15 a game since 79-80. Uh, winning the National Player of the Year on a consensus basis. And him returning now puts this in a very interesting spot. If he happens to put up another season like this one, he's potentially looking at being uh, the possible first repeat winner of the Nathan Award since Ralph Sampson in the early 80s. Is that good? <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> yeah, So and so... And, and SCC4 is probably at every right to just shiver in fear of that sports center now because I would imagine that she was going to do the exact same thing. His, fr my guy, he just bullies people down there. And I can't imagine that's going to go after another year of offseason work. No. And I, we, we talked about it, I think, briefly. A lot of his work also comes in the film room because he's yep. studying how opposing players miss shots. And. Obviously, it's ridiculous. You, you get to learn how your teammates are going to miss shots just by 
being with them. But that's like stuff that we've never seen before. And so, yeah, he's going to get even stronger. I imagine he's going to be a little bit more fit. And, I mean, I'm just going to pull up his numbers, just how much he played on a minutes basis. But, I mean, he was running up and down the court consistently. He played 80% of minutes. I mean, if you can get that up to 85, 86, 87% of their minutes, I mean, you're going to make your team so much better. Uh, he He's such an incredible player. And he's a coach's and, favorite, too. Oh, Cal yeah. Cal probably loves him. He, he works his ass off. So uh, he, he deserves all the credit that he's received. And I, I really hope he can have another successful yeah. year because he's awesome. And you really just got to think yeah. what what that West Virginia team looked like last year if they had this version of Oscar Shibwe. Yeah, but, and, and very similar to, to Amaro Baycott, North Carolina. He's pretty much a walking double-double. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's, that's just the kind of guy he's turned himself into. Yeah, speaking of Baycott, like John Rothstein said, um, the national championship runs through Chapel Hill. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about some of the decisions from mm-hmm. North Carolina um, in just a few minutes. Here, there's some big ones out of there. Um, but I, I would peg Shibuya right at the top of the national player of the year race for next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a player that has proven he can do it in a league that is elite. I mean, I mean, let's make no bones about this. The SEC is a quality basketball league. It was mm-hmm. the number two conference this yeah. year in. Uh... Ken Palm's conference yeah, rankings. Yeah, and this will only continue with the fast amount of great mid-major coaches that have been hired in the league, the fast amount of quality transfers the league has picked up, the recruits are pretty solid as well. I mean, the league's got everything going for us from a basketball standpoint, and so that real, I mean, that just gives Shibuya more added fuel to the fire uh, to really be incredibly successful uh, once again, and and if SCC fours don't adjust, they're gonna get bullied once again. Um, the biggest question for for you guys, because I mean, there's, I mean, the last time we really see a national player that you're gonna come back was Tyler Hansbro. Yeah. Uh, and, and 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 in that 2009 year, Break Riffin uh, was the star in college basketball um, that year. Um, and, and so now we're at the point to where Sheboy comes back. This is an even better opportunity, uh, even than even than Hansbro. Uh, to get that repeat national player of the year with right. what she was able to accomplish. Right, and I haven't done too much looking at the upcoming recruiting class, but, I mean, it, it's really going to take a freshman who comes in and puts up absurd numbers in order to beat him. Uh, unless there's going to be guys like Johnny Davis or Keegan Murray that just have an insanely good developmental year and put up absurd numbers. But, I mean, I I certainly am not in position to talk about someone who's capable of doing that. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, for at least from – I mean. We could be looking at it. This stays within the upperclassmen and the experienced players. It, it very well could be Shibway versus Baycott the whole year uh, within the race as they accumulate double-doubles and accumulate good performances. It could come down to what they do uh, against the very best in their respective conferences, especially against Duke for, for Baycott. Mm-hmm. That, that might be the key difference. And so I was very fascinated to watch that race. Uh, and, of course, speaking of North Carolina, last week we kind of talked about Perhaps all North Carolina needed was love to really put themselves at that number one preseason level. They got him. And R.J. Davis. They got everyone they could have wanted back. And they will be the 2022-23 version of what UCLA was this year. After a great run in its double-A tournament to a Final Four, they bring pretty much everyone back. And they're going to be the talk of college basketball, I would imagine. Yeah, the difference between, I think, UCLA and UNC this year is UCLA entered last season with high aspirations following a strong 2020 finish. They didn't meet those those expectations in the regular season and then absolutely turned it on in the NCAA tournament. UNC 
didn't enter the year with those expectations after a strong finish, but they were expected to be good. And then they kicked it up in the middle of the regular season, and then people saw it coming. Like, they were a projectable team once they got into the NCAA tournament. And another thing is that Brady Manick is not returning because, he, of course, has, he used up his extra year of eligibility. He is gone, and I think that that is a big loss that UCLA didn't have. They had everyone return who played, with the exception of Chris Smith, who entered. Uh, he went professional, but that was after he got hurt, just didn't want to stick it around in college and work on his development there. So yeah. I think it's important for people to realize that I don't think this UNC team should enter with as high expectations as UCLA did, but this team has better athletes and has a higher potential than UCLA because Tyra Campbell is a good point guard, but wasn't a five-star recruit. Yeah. Well, whether you like it or not, North Carolina is going to have those massive expectations. Right. As people, are pre- and people, including myself, are pretty much naming them preseason number one right now. And it's just really a byproduct of what they did in the NCAA tournament. Even even though UCLA's talent is not going to be denied, I'm certainly not going to deny it, very similar to what UCLA uh, went through. Uh, you know, the big NCAA tournament run, getting everyone back, having massive expectations, almost as a byproduct of that. For North Carolina, we know it's a byproduct of that. And so that is going to be quite fun as well. Hunter Dickinson, we're turning to Michigan. We were talking about this uh, in our pre-show meeting. Um, you, you were a little bit surprised, Mr. Contini. Yeah, I mean, like I was surprised last year when he decided to come back. I mean, uh, this past season was a little bit more of a down year for Dickinson uh, in comparison to the year he had before. But um, with Michigan bringing everyone back, and I guess we could add the NIL, like Dom said before the show, I mean, Dickinson will probably make around a mil or somewhere near that. So, I mean, it's a smart decision on his part to perhaps increase his draft stock. I'm just very surprised. I mean, I don't really see how he can improve his draft stock anymore because I already feel like we've seen the Dickinson that he is. But that being said, I think Michigan didn't play to their potential last year. And with everyone coming back, I think this Michigan team can be very dangerous. And I think there will be one of the top teams in the Big Ten, if not the top. Yeah, and, and one more real quick. Maybe not a return from the from, um, draft consideration, but a return from the portal. Uh, Gary Collins, the nation's leading assist man last year, returning to the Billikens. Uh, that's massive for the A-10. Uh, that really cements St. Louis straight to the top of the board in the A-10 in my book. Yeah, 100%. And I think you're going to see a little bit more of this over the next couple of days because players have to decide where they're going to be playing and be enrolled in classes before a certain time, so that way they can play in the upcoming year. So watch out for that. And you're also going to see some players uh, come back from the NBA draft. You had to be, you had to put your name in the draft, but you can take your name out of it if you haven't hired yeah, an agent. Yeah, you know, so deadline, de- deadline for that's middle of June for context. Right. So there's going to be guys that have that are going to be coming back, and there's going to be some more news like this stuff. But I mean, for for St. Louis, I mean, this is a huge get to have him back. And, you know, I mean, as it gets closer to the deadline, if players aren't finding any spots that they like, you know, why not come back to a situation you're familiar with unless if you're, like, leaving to try and find and seek a better situation now, like if your coach leaves or something like that. It's a little bit different, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with going back to where you're familiar with. And credit to Yuri Collins and St. Louis for, for sticking it out. It's pretty often that you see guys enter the transfer portal and say, you know, I'm, I'm considering staying, and then they actually do. So... They deserve a lot of credit here. 
Yeah, sir. Yeah, that is absolutely correct. And there will be plenty of decisions to be made. Last this past week was a crazy week uh, for decisions. And uh, one of the top prizes in the transfer portal, Kendrick Davis, uh, made his decision not too long ago. He is making a lateral transfer in the American Athletic Conference to Memphis. Uh, Kendrick Davis. Uh, I am a happy Bonanza Chronicle coming out on him. Um, my hope is tomorrow morning, if I'm being completely honest. But this is a player uh, who really stood out for SMU over the past two years. Uh, this this past year, um, nearly 19.5 points per game, uh, just under four rebounds per game. His assist numbers, though, down from last year, were also very healthy, just out of four and a half assists per game. Over the last two years, Kendrick Davis, uh, after his transfer uh, from TCU, has done pretty much everything you can in the American. He's going to give it one more go in the American to play under Penny Hardaway. And some of the stuff I've been reading on him is that he knows, Penny Hardaway knows. Penny Hardaway wanted to get him really bad. And when that decision was made, Penny Hardaway was so excited. Penny Hardaway has his point guard. That was one of the things I think we saw of Memphis when they struggled uh, was that they didn't have the, the, the point figured out. They didn't have who was trying to really run things on the floor. And it just led to sloppy turnovers, just miscommunication. And we saw that in some of the early losses that Memphis took. With Kendrick Davis, I can assure you that's not going to happen. And Kendrick Davis gives Memphis a piece to go toe-to-toe -to -toe against Houston with them in the conference. Yeah, and for Memphis, they only had two players average over two assists per game. That was Alex Lomax and Landers Nolly. Both those guys didn't even play 27 minutes per game. So you're going to get a player in Kendrick Davis who can both play those amount of minutes and also get those kind of assists. I mean, yeah. Davis played uh, over 83% of minutes the last two years at SMU, yeah. and he also was a starter in 2020. So you're going to get a dependable point guard who uh, is going to continue to get bigger. Yeah, absolutely. And to give the, the, the medics context, like you said, that's a good point. Uh, other than one game he did not play at Temple on February 16, he only had two games where he did not play 30 minutes or more. He played 29 minutes in both those games. Uh, so that just showed you how crucial he was to that team. And, and you know, the 2020 numbers, 14.2 points per game, 4.1 uh, rebounds per game, and a very solid assist season. That's not bad either. Um, and But really, Davis, based on some of the assist numbers you were saying, might just return to the assistant versus he had in the 20, um, 21 year, uh, in which he was, I think the, I think the average uh, within the 17 game season that's when you played ended up being close to like just under seven and a half assists per game. Shorter sample size than a lot of a lot of teams in that conference that year, but that's an eye popping number regardless. And I really do believe that that just shows um, what the what Davis brings to Memphis. And I think it's also going to rapidly increase the expectation for Memphis once again. Now, the big thing for Memphis, which I will uh, pretty much state uh, in, my, in my Bonanza Chronicle, is this. Memphis still has a very dark cloud over its head with the NCAA scandal. Um, and that cloud is, who knows when it's going to strike lightning on your program and give you sanctions, which we know is coming with they reported at least four level one violations, the at least two level two violations, and a lot of that's on Penny Hardaway. So really, who knows when the sanctions will be struck down and when the NCAA is going to choose the moment? Who knows when that's going to happen? If that does not happen, 
in 22-23 to have it in effect next season, my expectations for Memphis are sky high. Uh, maybe not as high as Houston. Let's get this straight. But Memphis can be a team that can do a lot because they have the experienced guard. Yeah, but and, we said this before. Well, they didn't have the experienced guard, but before this season, we were very high in Memphis. Right. So, yeah. Um, and, and you know, and, and it ended up turning out that perhaps Amani Bates is too young for the moment. I think you are right, though, that Kendrick Davis is the X Factor, and he can flip this program around. So yeah. it's definitely a great get for this program. And we also kind of saw what happened when Amani Bates did miss some time uh, for an extended period. Um, Penny Hunter was able to, you know, find his guys and able to get the thing, things going. Not saying that Bates was the sole reason why Memphis... Um, was able to succeed when he was out, uh, but Memphis found their stride. Yeah, it's definitely interesting on that point that Bates is leaving. That could be part of the reason. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, it, this could be that could be him Bates out in and of itself might be a net positive, but this addition is just so just massive. For sure. Yeah, and I can only imagine where things really go um, from there within um, that regard. Uh, within the last uh, few minutes that we had, within the last several minutes, um, we had, uh, like I mentioned, uh, an exceptionally busy week within the transfer portal as a lot of top prizes um, went to places and made their decisions. Uh, wasn't just Kendrick Davis, wasn't just Nigel Pack, at least from a value perspective. One other one to keep an eye on, uh, Jawan Gary, uh, the... Re the uh, Redshirt freshman going uh, out of ne Alabama to Nebraska. Mm -hmm. That certainly gives Nebraska some. Red Hoiberg. Yeah, that certainly gives Alabama a lot of firepower um, for a program that, let's just be real, has been one of the Big Ten bottom feeders uh, for be, a while. <laughs> um, but, and Juwan Gary didn't quite have his best um, outing. Um, you know, had a couple of stints where he missed a couple of games to the injury. Uh, but there were some games where he at least um, shot, he at least flashed his potential. Uh, the ESPN event invitation was a great example of that. Um, against Drake, had a double double with 14 and 10. Uh, and then against Miami, had 13 and 5. So a couple of uh, solid games in a row, strung up strong for him. Uh, and also in the game against Houston, uh, not too long after that, at 19 points with four boards. So it, he's, there's been some games where he's shown that potential. He just didn't carry it through last year at Alabama. Mm -hmm. And with a team like Nebraska, I mean, he might be able to turn that into something uh, where he is going to be expected a lot more of. Um, uh, but he, may, but there's not necessarily that team expectation. He might be able to shine in Nebraska. Would hmm. be, be my estimation. Yeah. And that would certainly be a big, big boost. Um, going forward uh, for them. For, so for, for the last 10 minutes of this program, we're just going to go around and kind of give some of those guys who perhaps people might be overlooking a little bit within their decisions to uh, transfer to other places. Uh, perhaps mine might be a little more of the, uh, the higher profile guys, at least within value, that perhaps might get overlooked by the casual person. Uh, but I know Mr. Stirl will know this uh, from 2021, just how much I love Ben Vanderplas. Uh, but oh boy, is Virginia getting a good one in Ben Vanderplas? And I, I know you would know a lot 
Uh, but you can see me with Ben Vanderplas playing uh, at Ohio uh, for each of the last four years. Uh, but just a guy that just got things done, especially in the last three years. Mm -hmm. The scoring average was terrific in all three of those years. Uh, and he just, and the, the guy was just so impressive on that team. Yeah, I mean, he was a staple for um, the beginning of Bull, Jeff Bowles' head coaching career at Ohio University. And I'm very interested to see how the transition from a conference like the MAC to the ACC affects Vanderpause. I don't think it will affect him much due to his stretch four capabilities. So um, I think it's a very good get for Tony Bennett and the Cavaliers. All right, I'm going to start with Tennessee transfer Brandon Huntley Hatfield, former five-star recruit uh, that went to Tennessee. He becomes the first guy to commit to Kenny Payne at Louisville. Yeah, this is something that came really within hours before the sh before our show tonight. Yeah, three hours ago, reported by On3. By the way, gripe the pick with On3. I did some reporting for them at NC State. They never paid me. Nice. Shame. Uh, anyway, anyway, uh, continue with the point. But, I mean, these are the types of transfers that you kind of got to hit on early in your career uh, if you're Kenny Payne because you're trying to establish yourself as someone who can develop players. And for Huntley Hatfield, who didn't play a ton at Tennessee – He's now going to have an opportunity to play at Louisville in front of a big crowds at the Yum Center. Shout out to the Yum Center. In uh, the Louisville program in general. Right, yes. I mean, that and, fan base is very much one of the best when Louisville is on. And a program that needs to re-identify itself after the sanctions that have been placed upon itself after uh, Patino was bringing recruits to strip clubs. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, Louisville's got a lot, of, a lot of work to do. And, I mean, getting five-star recruits who are young... I mean, that, that that could go a long way, and it's going to be up to the development of Kenny Payne. But, I mean, getting those guys in the door uh, is certainly a good way to prove that you're capable of doing it for future recruits and transfers, too. One transfer I saw and liked, I mean, me being a homer again, uh, is Sean McNeil from West Virginia transferring to Ohio State. I That's think, another very recent decision as well. Yeah, and I think this decision is going to help Ohio State a ton because it really gives – Coach Holman, a veteran backcourt that he hasn't had since he's been there, with now Tanner Holden coming from Wright State and now with Shock McNeil from West Virginia. Uh, McNeil averaged 12 points for the Mountaineers and was 37% from behind the arc. And he shot it at a high clip. So this is something that Ohio State has not had a scoring guard. So it's going to be a lot of fun uh, watching this Ohio State team next yeah, year. Yeah, the next one I'm going to mention, Terry Roberts um, going uh, to Georgia. And just another great mid-major transfer to that Georgia program trying to really rebuild itself. And Terry Ro Roberts is the perfect guy uh, who had an impressive year uh, at Bradley, uh, earning himself all Missouri Valley Conference first team honors, the newcomer of the year honor in the MVC after a year in which he was able to score about 14 points per game, got around five rebounds per game, very solid games left and right for him in the MVC, in the non-conference schedule against Colorado State in a, in a non-conference game, 24.6 rebounds. So he played well against quality competition as well. I will really be looking forward to seeing how Roberts adjusts to the SEC and a program like Georgia who's really just trying to rebuild, get some really good pieces from the portal. And I have a big feeling that Terry Roberts would be a big, big part of that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the hometown guy, uh, Warren Washington, transferring from Nevada to Arizona State. Washington from San Diego, uh, originally started his college career at Oregon State, transferred 
played for Steve Alford at Nevada for two years and is now going to be uh, spending his fourth year in his collegiate career here at Arizona State. And this is really the first time we've seen Bobby Hurley bring in a transfer big man. And we'll, we'll see how that pans out for him. Uh, obviously, Hurley's a great recruiter, you know, one of the game's greatest college players. So other college players are going to want to come and play for him. But we haven't seen too many good big men, at least established big men, coming and play for him. And he, he averaged 10 points per game at Nevada. Uh, he's very athletic, very long. This is the type of play that Bobby Hurley needs to be successful here at Arizona State. And yeah. uh, he, he dropped 40 on a on my high school in the CIF semifinals in San Diego and uh, uh, had, had a couple of uh, classmates devastated by Warren Washington. You know? <laughs> Hopefully it can be the other way around this time, Warren. Yeah, also just over six and a half rebounds per game last year for the seven foot 215. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big, big frame. Let's get one more from you, Contini. I got Dawson Garcia, a bench player from North Carolina. He didn't really get to finish his season this year, but he's headed now to the Minnesota Golden Gophers, this is a great get for a Minnesota program who has been down a lot recently. Um, Dawson Garcia is a 6'11 guard. He, I mean, not 6'11 guard, wow, 6'11 forward. Um, averaged nine points last year and 13 to the year prior where he played a complete season. And going from a program with the prestigiousness from North Carolina to Minnesota, I think it will help the Golden Gophers a ton. You have one more, Mr. Stern? Yeah, Daryl Banks. He was the leading guy in terms of minutes on St. Peter's is transferring to St. Bonaventure. And the Bonnies, they have a lot of shoes to fill after basically uh, graduating an entire senior class. I think Banks is ready for the step up after uh, shining to a certain extent in the NCAA tournament. He also led this team in three-point attempts with 140. Uh, Was not the leading three-point shooter on this team. That is, of course... Doug Edert, um, <laughs> but Daryl Banks was definitely the engine of that team. So I think that's a great get for St. Bonaventure. He's staying at a uh, at a religious school in uh, in the Northeast. Yeah, I'll give a pair. Uh, it's really to wrap up this discussion. Uh, UNLV got was had a fantastic week uh, in the transfer portal with Elijah Harkless from Oklahoma uh, committing to UNLV. That's a great get in and of itself. I think Harkless will be able to really shine in the Mountain West Conference, give Oklahoma a ton of value. Uh, Quentin Evan Myers, uh, BPR metric, the total ended up being 27.2. That's a, that's a very good number. Um, projected to have a little bit of a downward shift, but 26.1 Mountain West is a very solid value number. Uh, about the uh, very similar to the 100 Maltinado gates to Wyoming, uh, from what I recall. That'll be big. Also, uh, the one I really have prepped for UNLV, uh, Luis Rodriguez uh, from Old Miss to UNLV. Uh, very similar value numbers projected for this next season. Uh, a, a decent year for Old Miss. Uh, had a, a very solid start. Ended up. Not having the, not having some spot nights in very good successive style. I mean, against LSU to start February 15 and 12. Uh, so that was a very good game for him. And he had three other games with 10 or more rebounds uh, on the year as well. Very solid rebound numbers as well for the uh, 6'6", 210 uh, guard slash four assistant on all missed notes. Had 5.6 rebounds per game. So a very solid rebounder there. And, and before I close up the show, I'll just mention this one point. There are still a lot of great prizes left uh, to be um, uh, decided. Terrence Shannon Jr. at Texas Tech. Uh, no shadow made from Arkansas State were the uh, better um, projected values in Aaron Maya's um, BPR system. K.J. Williams at Murray State. And my I mention, these are also being adjusted as, as things go along. 
Johnny Brune from Morehead State. Keep an eye on him. His projected VPF next year got upped by a few points. And he now is the 16th best transfer in Evan Maya's website system. Uh, there are, and again, within the top 50, plenty of those guys are still left. And to be decided, I mean, I mean so, I mean, outside of Imani Bates, Landers Nolly is still around as well. Uh, Xavier Pinson still around as well. There are a lot of great prizes are left. And that's going to make this next week incredibly entertaining from an off-season perspective. May maybe it could be just as wild uh, as this past week was. Who knows? But for now, that'll wrap up this week's edition of the College Bass Bonanza. Next week, same time, same place, for what will be our final show of the year uh, in the Bill Austin Radio Studio. We'll still have some shows for you throughout the off-season, uh, but next week will be it for us uh, in the Bill Austin Radio Studio on BlazeRadioOnline.com. For Dominic Stern, Don Contini, my name is Nicholas Hodel. Uh, have a very good weekend, everyone, and you, and you already know where this is going for those listening on BlazeRadioOnline.com, your weekly dose of one-shot memory coming up right now.